listening to The Defiant Ones, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of Defy. Welcome back, Defiance. My name is Kevin Deers, and uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber to The Defiance, you are probably well aware that this is a, a Patreon-only podcast called The Defiant Ones. It's been a little uh, fun kind of COVID project that we've brewed up uh, over the last year, almost a year now. What has it been, like nine months or so? Uh, been been giving you conversations with wrestlers that uh, are Defy Originals or uh, wrestlers who have wrestled all over the world. I had some really awesome conversations that I, I'm very proud of. So if you are just now subscribing to the Defiance Patreon, I'm not even sure what number we're on, but we have some great conversations uh, from, from Shaft hanging out in his bus that he's DIY making a home for himself over in the East Coast to Brody King, who is both wrestling on a high level and singing for uh, a hardcore metal band called God's Hate, who released one of my favorite albums of 2021. There's some gems back there. And episode one is especially important because it is with the ravenous one, Randy Myers, who is the current longest running, technically longest running champion of Defy. So I'm excited to see him come back to the ring and I'm excited for all of us to get back together. Hopefully in the next few months, we can all get back together in Washington Hall or wherever it may be to congregate again, to scream as loud as we can and cheer on our favorite Defy wrestlers. We're about to jump into a conversation I had with someone who is no stranger to Washington Hall himself. I met him when he teamed up with Sue Young back in, uh, I think it was actually the first, no, second Defy show. And that man is the devil himself, Drexel. We cover everything from his early radio career to wrestling in death matches during the pandemic. And he even tells us about some of his very own brand new weapons he's carved out of some organic elements. So here it is, a brand new episode of The Defiant Ones with Drexel. And it is The Defiant Ones right now, the devil himself, Drexel, a.k.a. Derek Drexel Radio. That's what he's going by, uh, at least on his Zoom. We're doing things to socially distance style here in 2021. Hopefully, you know, sometime down the road as everyone gets their vaxes, as everyone gets their little uh, science pokes in their arms, we can all gather together to see some wrestling. But in the meantime, I'm... Uh, I, I would assume a couple states away or something from Derek uh, Drexel. Are you are you in Washington or are you in? I'm down in Oregon. I'm in, in Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Well, first off, uh, welcome welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I'm all vaxxed up and nowhere to go right now. So all vaxxed uh, up, nice. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was wrestling more. I wish things were opening up. I wish uh, you know things would get back to normal, but. Until then, uh, I've got a few shows coming up in uh, Washington in June. I'm heading yeah. down to Vegas in July. I've got a, uh, a deathmatch show I'm doing down there. And at least uh, I've wrestled in the last year, unlike a lot of guys. I went back east and went out to uh, ICW and uh, No Peace and a few other companies. Mm -hmm. so, so at okay. least I got a few matches in this past year, but it, it was rough. I don't think I've had that few matches since maybe my very first year in the business, like 15, yeah. 15 years ago. Well, I mean, it seems like death match is the uh, thing on the, uh, on the topic these days, as we saw the Nick gauge uh, uh, dark side of the ring and, and all of these things. And of course the exploding uh, uh, quote unquote, exploding ring match and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, so I got to ask you, man, um, What's uh? What was your first experience with a death match, and what has been some of your gnarliest moments with uh these hyper violent matches? So I never really considered any of the stuff I did up here in the Pacific Northwest to really be death matches. I considered yeah. them hardcore, and I've mm -hmm. done some crazy things, but never really death matches. And uh, um, even the ones that were tagged death matches, I I, I figure they're pretty tame in comparison. But during the uh, the COVID uh, uh, shutdown, I like had some people hit me up and they're like, Hey, uh, are you interested in going and working for ICW? No holds barred, which yeah. is one of the top deathmatch companies. And I was like, well, yeah, why, why wouldn't I? It's great exposure. And they're like, sure. cool. Doing straight death matches. I was like, I 
you know, why not? I've done yeah. just about everything else. Um, so uh, I would consider that match for ICW my first real death match um, yeah. just because of the amount of glass that got used in the match against uh, Neil Diamond Cutter. But uh, um, I had fun. I, I enjoyed it. I okay. telling this crazy story. And uh, I mean, I'm always I've always been one of those people that when I'm performing, one of my favorite things is seeing the look on the front row when I do something gnarly or like I'm whatever paper cuts, any of my silly stuff that I do. And I just yeah. watch people cringe. And then with death matches, you just amp it up even more as sure. you're, because yeah, I mean, we're trying to work with each other. It's still wrestling, but yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty gnarly. I mean, um, wounds just from that one match i have a uh a like a little mark right here in my my thumb that okay. actually it was a barbed wire uh um poke went straight in and it cut the nerve in my uh. thumb so currently i have this weird like numb spot right here in my thumb okay just, and it's where the yeah, top it, yeah yeah it's just just this little section right there is completely numb. So I must've cut a nerve or something and it didn't heal. Right. Um, uh, when I just did no peace, um, the, uh, right before the finish was pretty gnarly. It was two panes of glass, uh, set on fire that Zicky dies power bombed me through that. And oh, that's, and that's fun. The floor. But right before that was even way more gnarly as I, I approached Zicky and I think he was going for like a overhead belly to uh, belly to belly through a, um, a whole bunch of light tubes, but there was a stage in the way and I wasn't about to crash neck first into the thing. So I ended up like kind of uh, face planning into all these tubes and I've got some, uh, <sighs> I've cut my nipple. Yeah, like part of my nipple was cut and then like some gnarly scars going down on the side from that. And if you actually watch the, uh, the match on, uh, on independent wrestling, you, uh, you can see me just kind of look down at my nipple. You just see me look so pissed off. And then it's turned to Zicky. I'm like, you cut my goddamn nipple, you son of a, and I am just cussing him out as I'm getting ready to like, uh, yeah, Mizuki. uh pick him back up and, uh, and do a whole bunch worse stuff to each other with the, uh, the glass panes and the uh, fire and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, my, my short <sighs> time in the last year of doing death matches has been pretty crazy, but I've walked away. I mean, few more scars uh i was never a pretty pretty person anyway so i don't care well, about scars. i mean everyone's got these weird stories of covid some people stay in home some people you know work in you know a job that they've never worked before and you are going out there and risking your body uh and and you know everyone's got these different stories so you're going to come back uh once defy is 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 back and and you're going to have a few more scars yeah yeah i mean not that i wouldn't have Anyway, probably uh, at least with these scars, I've got people cheering me on. There as you I'm go. It. So I, I think I've made mention in, uh, in a few promos talking about like, yeah, I go out there and I hurt myself just to uh, feel better inside. Because yeah. if I was at home just cutting myself, then I'm like an emo teenage girl. And that's just yeah. not that cool. So yeah, no one's cheering you on. For a paying yeah. audience, and then that just makes me, it makes me much higher on the cool scale than just doing it at home and listening to The Cure or something. So. Um, okay. So I was actually going to ask you that question about scars. I like to ask that question. And because you are Drexel, I figure, you know, you will have a couple more than the average person. So I usually ask, pick a scar on your body and tell us a story of how you got it. But since it's um, you, I'm going to say pick two scars on your body and tell okay. us a story of how you got each one. All right. There is a pretty massive one right here. Forehead. Yeah. Right there. Okay. And that one is courtesy of uh, Christina Von Erie. That mm -hmm. was uh, probably 14, 15 years ago. Uh, we were in a war games match together. I okay. was still at the time, uh, just mostly just a manager. Occasionally mm -hmm. I would do gimmick matches and uh, me and her were each other's first real feud. Uh, essentially we were trying to, uh, reenact the uh the fonzie beulah thing from ecw with yeah. the girl deal uh 15 years ago and so we had done a war games match so me and christina are both the last two people coming out in the uh in the match i'm out there christina comes in and uh once she she comes in she just starts bouncing me off the cage great i'm hitting my head and i go for the the 
instant uh, gigging spot. And uh-huh. as I take that uh, that little blade and stick it in there, she kicks me right in the back of the head. And the thing just jabs super deep. I pull it out and it is just squirting oh everywhere. My God. Oh yeah, it was bad. Um, later on, we do a whole bunch of eliminations. And I think it was uh, right at the end, it was a guy, Jason Sullivan, that used to be in the area. Sure. Had put me on a table to go through the table. Um, go crashing through the table and everything. And when we looked at it afterwards, I had a perfect like blood halo around where my head was because I had bled uh, so much around it. And it was just the perfect uh, spot of no blood right in the center. It was a whole halo of blood on the table. It was pretty cool. I, I don't know. I'm starting to push this whole homicidal artist thing because okay. I find, I find beauty in a lot of the sickest, craziest things. It's um, pretty metal dude. Yeah, I, I started uh, building weapons uh, during uh, COVID out of uh, bones. And what is stuff. that? Uh, what is that? Um, so this is uh, Mr. Giggles. I call this one Mr. Giggles. It's okay. uh, some uh, gator jaw pieces uh, that are connected together with a, uh, I forget what kind of bone is in the center. Uh, and then I have another one that's uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pointy, which is a uh, badger claw. Um, and there's some... Uh, other claws on there. <laughs> it, essentially, I'm making all organic deathmatch weapons to use in the matches because <laughs> if I'm hailing Portland, I may yeah. as well be the only all organic uh, deathmatch wrestler if I'm yes. hailing Portland. So I am the king of Northwest hardcore. So that's something else I started doing during COVID. So top Dude. that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. So you got the head scar. We need one more. Um, <laughs> that was nasty, but we need another one. Uh, I don't know if you can see it anymore because it was kind of in a fatty spot. Uh, it was in my, my back and probably not, but I had a, a gash about like that one time that, uh, um, I crashed through a table and the metal, uh, little ring on it cut my back. I didn't even realize it. I go in the back after the match and I'm more worried about my head bleeding. And a guy walks up and he goes, Hey, uh, you see the cut on your back? And I was like, no, and he goes, Oh, it's kind of gnarly. And I look, and as I look and kind of turn and it opens up, I can literally see the fat tissue in the uh. in there. And it just turned my stomach instantly. I turned away and I just looked at one of my buddies and I was like, Hey, can you glue that thing up? And they're just like, Yeah, sure. And so sure. they cleaned it up, they glued it up, and uh and what about my business for the rest Jesus of the night? Christ. So. All right. Now if <laughs> if anyone's eating and listening to this podcast, well, uh maybe press pause and you know or just hey stick with it you know whatever we're getting to the weird stuff it's drexel what did they expect exactly. i mean i'm not known on for being now. the most sanitary person in the entire world i've licked just about every ring announcer and interviewer in the pacific northwest including um, me including you yes. uh, i was really proud with icw that i got to uh lick uh uh, Larry the legend, because he he's amazing out there on the East yeah. coast. I got to lick him. He seemed to enjoy it. So nice. Yeah, was yeah. Um, and that's the other thing. I was so excited about getting back because I can lick people again. I yes. still can't like stab people, but I can lick them right. Yes. Now. So happy licking has returned. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I want to l- know about, um, your radio. So you started, uh, so I started at radio in college radio at like 18, 19 at, at KGRG at Green River community college. So you started on the radio at 19. Did you go to college for it or, um, yeah. So, uh, I had no idea what I was going to go to school for. So I went to a local uh, community college and one of the classes I chose was a speech class. Mm-hmm. And during the very first class, I acted like a class clown and acted out the same way I did in high school. And the teacher's like, why don't you go to the radio station and go try to get some of this pent up uh, energy out? And I said, okay. So I went down there and uh, they said, yeah, sure. Here's four hour shift every Thursday. So I did that for the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the year. And, uh, and then the radio station closed down because it was a whopping, I think 10 watt uh, station. Yeah. Yeah. No money whatsoever. So my second year, um, I finished out my uh, a two-year associate degree, and then I went to a school called Specs Howard. Uh, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. So okay. Specs Howard is the broadcasting school out there, fairly well-known. Um, went and started at Specs Howard, and uh, like the very first class, they're like, hey, we're not going to get you a job in, in radio or TV. You're going to have to do this yourself. We're just yep. going to give you the basic skills. 
And so I took that to heart. Um, and so within about two months of me at Specs Howard, I found myself an internship uh, and I got my foot in the door for uh, the number one rock station, Detroit riff uh, on part of the morning show. Nice. Was, uh, the Drew and Mike show. And uh, I was going to be uh, interned for two days a week for the news chick, uh, Trudy. Yeah. And all I was doing essentially is cutting and pasting news stories for her, for doing her newscast, whatever. Yeah. And I did that for um, probably about two months. And the main intern for the Drew and Mike show was leaving and going up to uh, Lansing, Michigan to go actually go do his own show. Great. Uh, co-host on his own show. And so I got asked to uh, become the new intern for the actual rock show. Yeah. Uh, so about four or five months into uh, Specs Howard, I'm now at the number one morning show in Detroit, uh, five yeah. days a week, I've got to be there at four 15 in the morning. And I would, uh, intern until like seven 15, seven 30. Then I would try to race to class, mm-hmm. try to do the classes. And meanwhile, it's, you know, five months into these classes. So it's still way early on where at work now at riff i'm doing digital editing i'm yeah. editing with real to real i have to know everything so you're doing I'm, the stuff like, before you're learn quote unquote learning it yes in exactly. class uh, and, and so i started going back to the school and i went to the teacher so i was like hey can i go use the digital lab stuff nope not allowed to until this point i was like look i i need this because i already have it you know at work and blah 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 and so i ended up talking to the head of the program and he looks at me he goes why are you here? And I yeah. said, what do you mean? He goes, first, first class. I said that we're not going to get you a job in radio. You've already like, you've gotten yourself that job in radio. Go do that. He yeah. goes, it's going to help you a lot more. And this is back before, um, a lot of places were really strict with internships. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, for about a year, I worked for free, uh, as the intern on the morning show and probably put in on average 50, 60 hours a week. Um, but that was my crash course in radio. And then, uh, I, I felt like, all right, well, I'm going to have to go somewhere. And they said, well, we want to keep you around. So they made me the very first uh, assistant producer for the show that they had ever had, um, and paid me, I think I was making like 250 or $300 a week. But for me, I had moved back home to live cheap anyway. And was living in my grandparents' basement. So I didn't care. It was the greatest job in my entire life. I mean, you'd been doing it for a year for free. So now you're getting paid. You're like, oh, about another year, uh, just over a year, I was an assistant producer. And then at that point, they're like, okay, it's time for you to move on. I'm like, no, but I I love it here. It's okay. And they're like, no, you have to go get a real job. Um, And they helped me find a job. I ended up going down to Tampa and working for a top 40 station and another number one show, uh, the uh, MJ and BJ show. Oh, nice. And I was a assist or I was a executive producer for that show. And was there for almost two years, uh, wasn't exactly the right fit. I mean, I went down to Tampa, Florida with uh, hair down to the middle of my back. Yeah. Uh, did not listen to anything that was on top 40 radio. Um, I hated most of the stuff that uh, was on the radio station. I really think the program director who is the, uh, the co-host of the morning show enjoyed the fact that I didn't like any of those things. And yeah. he could count on me not to be a super fan. Yes. I would get stuck with some of the craziest things. Like uh, I remember having to escort, uh, escort and around, uh, okay. around for an entire day. Um, I smoked pot with Justin Timberlake and it's Justin Timberlake and his mother. That was wow pretty insane but uh, because you weren't a fanboy, it didn't phase you you no, were just hanging i, I just was You're like just there hey, for the hang cool let's take them wherever yeah. see i was a, you know earlier on at the rock station i got to meet you know everyone from rob zombie the ramones yeah wow Tool, that's awesome. just everyone came through uh through detroit and any any rock band that came through detroit i was there at the concert got to meet everyone so that was the true like that was where I had to, you know, bite my tongue. By the time I got on Florida in the top 40, I'm like, ah, whatever. Yep. Where everyone else is fangirling out. So uh did two years there um, and then left that station because me and the host didn't uh, exactly see eye to eye on a lot sure. of things. <laughs> um, came back, um, was out of radio for a little bit because you know how radio is as yep. you transfer around. 
Um, and I started uh, playing in a band and I ended up touring in a band for about a year and a half, two years around the Midwest Nice, uh, called 10 inch skillet. And we played shows like clutch and fishbone and killer X monster yeah. magnet, a bunch of fun bands that we played with. Over the yeah. Years. Um, and then when the band was breaking up, I got back into radio Okay. Uh, and was in Flint, uh, Michigan for a real short time just to get my foot back in the door. Yeah. I started working with the night show there and I got, uh, got them. So I got our show hired into Detroit to do, uh, on a, um, FM talk station for a weekend show. Cool. And right as we were getting ready to sign that deal, I got hit up by a guy named Buckhead, um, in, uh, who was getting uh, a morning show in Portland. He's like, Hey, you want to come be my executive producer and one of my, uh, my co-host. And so he offered me a bunch of money and that brought me to Portland. And when I got out here, Portland wrestling was still on TV and yeah, grew <clears throat> they were on the same station as, uh, the uh our competition um pk's playhouse i think it was okay but they were running just like essentially just video of their morning show kind of like the howard and, stern used yeah. to do on e or whatever yeah. yeah and i was at z100 here in uh in portland and i should have known like don't go to top 40 stations it just never works out because i don't fit in but because of portland wrestling being on the same station as um pk's thing and usually uh, airing right before PKs, I convinced the station to allow me to do a cross promotion with Portland Wrestling um, to get our logos all over that show. So, you know, anyone that tuned in to PK or Lacey's, our morning show, blah, blah, blah. Um, I contacted the, at the time, it was the promoter, Frank Colbertson. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, we got this idea. We'd like to have... Uh, have the grappler and uh and his uh his group beat you up so uh would you mind training and for me i'm like awesome great yeah so uh yeah i started training and i did for um it was twice a week um for about two months and all it was was i would show up grappler was on the outside of the ring there was a couple other guys a guy named exile guy uh caden matthews who both used to wrestle in the area and uh they just beat the hell out of me all i did was uh was take uh, do rolls, bumps, take hip tosses, take uh, arm drags, uh, run the ropes, take shoulder tackles. All I did was bump. I never actually learned how to lock up, how to do any wrestling moves because yeah. I was a radio guy and a ring announcer. Yeah, and yeah, like, totally. Yeah, so they essentially would grab. You were like man cow in WCW against Jimmy Hart. Yes. Um, and, and I was fine with that. And what I didn't realize at that time is cause I was like the first day I got the rolls and the bumps and I could protect myself. So I didn't understand why I had to do that for two months straight. Um, and they made sure that grappler would make sure that I was marked up really severely by the end of every class between chops and running the ropes and stuff so that I would go on the radio the next day, show off my chest and yeah. show how real pro wrestling is. Yeah. Uh, but because of the repetitiveness and what he was doing was just uh, building up my muscle memory so that uh, no matter as he put it at the end of it now, no matter what happened in the ring, you know what to do. Your body's going to naturally so that you're not going to land on your head. And that's, and that's what he did for me. So that was my, my transition from radio into wrestling. And during that time, uh, the, my um, contract ended in radio. Yeah. I didn't want to move again. Um, radio was falling apart as far as like making good money. Um, Mm -hmm. they essentially wanted to pay me like half of what my original contract was. And I wasn't interested in doing that. So I walked away from radio and kept doing wrestling. And, uh, and then, you know, 16 years later, here I am. I'm crazy deathmatch guy. <laughs> it's kind of funny. There's uh, quite a few like radio guys that wrestle. Obviously we know Migs. We know um, a Dalton castle. He was a rest. He was yeah. a radio guy over on the I East didn't coast. Know he was a radio guy, but that totally makes sense. Yeah. He was a radio guy and now he's, you know, for ring of honor and stuff. So, it, it, it makes sense though. Like, do you think the, um, I mean, you were so boisterous on the radio, I'm sure and everything. And, and you were, had a character that's gotta just like lend itself so much to wrestling. Right. Well, yeah, 100%. So when I was at Portland, um, 
initially it was grappler was the uh, booker and at some point grappler left uh frank was trying to book it himself and then uh dr luther uh luther mm-hmm. from aw took yep. over the book for portland wrestling and at that point um Frank actually was trying, was going to get rid of me. He had sent me an email saying, Hey, uh, we're not going to use you anymore. Um, because the radio station in Portland had separated, there wasn't going to be any sponsorships or anything. They sure. couldn't work out another deal. Um, and so, uh, it was, uh, he's like, so I want to get another radio station here. I can't have you on here if, and I'm like, okay, completely understand. And I just kind of started sending out feelers to other places in Washington and just trying to see if I could be a manager or do something someplace else. Yeah. And that's when Luther took over the book and Luther told Frank, he goes, no, um, we're not losing him. In fact, he's not going to be an announcer. I want to make him a manager. He nice. goes, i at that point, there was a deal with the Canadian wrestlers. A bunch of them got uh, were getting stopped at the border, so they couldn't come down for tapings anymore. Okay. So when Luther took over the book. He had to bring up a bunch of California guys. So guys like Big Ugly, uh, Vinny Massaro, uh, Timothy Thatcher, um, nice. uh, uh, Ijo de uh, Chupacabra, who's down in Vegas, um, uh, Luster Legend and Adam Thornstow from Reno uh, Scum. All those guys were uh, NorCal guys that all came up for Portland Wrestling. And as he brought this whole influx of new guys, he needed people that could talk. And so Luther ran a storyline where I went from being a uh, kind of uh, <laughs> So I had started as just normal, straight-laced, normal announcer. And then at some point when Frank took over the book, in Frank's mind, he was going to turn Luther bad guy by making Luther go crazy. And I was being like his caretaker or something where okay. essentially I had to keep uh, feeding Luther pills to keep him, uh, keep him calm. And at some point Luther snaps and, and destroys me during this whole match. And Frank in his mind thought that was going to get Luther, uh, heat but instead the fans loved it because i was the top 40 radio guy so of course they loved luther kicking the shit out of me yeah um, i think he wrapped he ended up power bombing me like two or three times and then wrapped a chair around my head um, jesus i had never taken a power bomb before um and i'd never taken a chair shot before it was all um those happened on tv first time that's there you go. Uh, Kyle Isadora, the uh, seven foot giant. My first choke slam was from him on TV. Wow. Um, so I learned uh, it was trial by fire, you know, learn on the job type thing. Yeah. But he ran the storyline where all of a sudden during the middle of uh, one of the shows, I get a phone call during an interview and I'm like, I've got to leave. And then I just disappear for a few weeks. And then I come back and I say my uncle had passed away and I inherited all this money. Yeah. I quit being a ring announcer and I come back and I, I become a manager and I, I, cause now I'm rich and essentially rich white trash. Cause he's like, you know, rich white trash. I was like, I'm from Beverly Hillbillies. I'm like, like, I'm from Detroit. I know rich white trash. So yeah. I dressed up in amazing uh, silver and purple silk suits with the uh, matching gator shoes. Nice. I my hair back. Um, and I got a faction of like six or seven people that uh, we called the conglomerate and had to run in Portland wrestling right up until right near the end. But uh, Timothy Thatcher was actually one of the members of the conglomerate. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Wow. I, I was one of Timothy Thatcher's first managers ever, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Damn. So. Uh, man. So, okay. So there's a ton of horror movie stuff behind you. Uh, yeah. and, and you are, you know, the devil himself, Drexel. So anyone who knows Drexel knows horror movie stuff. Uh, we got we to gotta get to down to this. What was your first horror movie you ever saw as a kid? Um, first one that really stands out would probably be Exorcist or Friday the 13th part three. I remember seeing both of those on, uh, I believe it was cable or VHS tape. One of the two, um, both, um, both scared me in different ways. I used Mm -hmm. to go up North. So that's why like being out in the woods and stuff like that in Northern Michigan. So that kind of freaked me out a little bit about, uh, about Jason. Um, and I was raised, uh, uh, Catholic where I went to church every Sunday. Um, so the, the whole exorcist thing that That hits you home on that. Yeah. And then I remember, uh, the first horror movie I saw in the theater was, uh, Friday the 13th part four. 
So I remember seeing that actually at the theater. Nice. But, um, okay. Well, what are your, what are your favorites? What are your top three favorite horror movies? So totally just random, uh, like different types of uh, the thing is absolute like on the sci-fi horror side. I love the thing. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original mm-hmm. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. I okay. mean, such different movies. Um, the original, because it's so gritty. And when you actually it's like a you snuff watch film. It, paying attention, there's hardly any blood in the movie, but it is huh. so intense and so gritty looking and looks like a documentary. Yeah. And then if you go to part two, it's one of the very first black, uh, black comedy horror movies. It's so over the top. Um, and there's, uh, like documentaries about the fact that, uh, Canon, um, had them hired Toby Hooper basically to do wanted him, wanted them to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre again for part two, essentially mm-hmm. the same movie. And he's like, no, why am I going to do something when like from that time of uh, mid seventies to now 85, I think it is 86. Um, you had the whole slasher craze and everything was bigger and over the top. So he just went completely over the top with the ridiculous scene with Dennis Hopper, uh, chainsaw fighting with Leatherface, and yeah. I mean, it was just super over the top gory. Um, Bill Mosley is chop top chop top's probably one of my favorite horror characters of all time. The guy with the, uh, metal plate that's always picking at it and then eating the skin off of it. But yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two is definitely one of my favorites. So. Nice, man. I, I, you know, I am obviously familiar with the first one. I've never watched the second one, so I'm going to have to check that out. It's ridiculous. And it's Dennis Hopper is uh, playing the sheriff that's been hunting him. Uh, His uh, niece and nephew were the guy in the wheelchair and the, uh, the, the blonde girl in the movie. And yeah, it's about this uh, radio station DJ who he, she's got a, a request from these two guys in a car and all of a sudden they get killed on the road by Leatherface and she's got a recording of it. And she's playing it on the radio. And so Damn. Leatherface and his brother Chop Top show up to like take the tape and kill her. Yeah, it's it's absolutely over the top bonkers and so much fun. Um, that, it, it's very much in line with like an evil, uh, evil dead too. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I mean, okay. It reminds me of almost the exact same where evil dead was such a straightforward, just horror movie. And part two, they're like, yeah, let's just turn it up to 11. And yeah. So. Okay. So le- when did you start integrating like the horror elements and like the kind of metal look to, to your character in wrestling? I mean, so as I started wrestling more and more, I started kind of doing more of the punk look because I've been a long-term punk fan and just yeah. been a punk most of my life. Uh, and that's where originally I had the Mohawk and I'm tatted up and whatever. I just very on the punk side and punk aesthetics. And when I, I left Pacific Northwest and went down to Florida to go, uh, I wanted to get seen by the WWE, but being 180 pounds and five foot uh, 11 at that time did not get you seen by the WWE, no matter what. Yeah. So I decided to go do the FCW beginner school because I knew I wouldn't get hired as a wrestler for them at the time, but I wanted to show them what I could do on a microphone uh, with storytelling and in hopes that even though they weren't doing managers at all at the time that, Hey, maybe it would cross someone's mind. Sure. Um, so that's why I moved down to Florida and I went to FCW and trained with Norman Smiley. And I mean, nothing came about out of it, but uh, training with Norman Smiley and Mike Graham and Steve Kern. And I wrestled in front of Undertaker one day and yeah. at me and told me, uh, too bad. You're not another six inches kid. And I said, yeah, yes, sir. I've heard that before. And uh, <laughs> um, had lots of cool experiences, but when I was down there, um, my first probably six to 10 months, I couldn't get bookings to save my life, even though I had originally broken in with, uh, with grappler. And then I trained with playboy buddy Rose mm-hmm. and Luther. And like I had done, uh, seminars with like, um, uh, Lance storm, Dr. Tom Pritchard. I mean, it was a who's who of people I had, I had trained with yeah. But down in Florida. It was very much a who, you know, and who you're friends with. 
Sure. Uh, so as I was getting established, I was trying to make money and couldn't take bookings. I was probably, I didn't take a show for about six months. And then Von Erie, Christina comes back into my life again. And, uh, she had moved down to Florida and was dating Jesse Neal from, uh, impact at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us kind of hooked up and Jesse was teaming with, uh, Shannon Moore for on impact. Yeah. And, uh, Shannon had no interest in doing the Indies. Uh, Jesse still needed to do, to do the Indies in order to pay his bills. Um, so we started teaming and the three of us were a group called the bastards and Jesse helped me kind of establish and get my foot in the door around the Florida Indies. Cool. Uh, so I kind of established myself a little bit and then an opportunity came where they wanted me to turn heel at one of the companies. And I said, well, can I do like a complete character switch? Because I had looked around and at this point, this is, um, nine years ago, probably. Okay. Uh, so almost a decade ago. Um, but there was no hair horror characters at that point. No one was really doing a horror based character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I was like, Oh, why not? I love doing horror. I, you know, why not, uh, start stealing from that. And yeah. right at being in Florida, uh, a Budadine, um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Sullivan's old manager in the army of darkness was still down there still doing the army of darkness. Uh, he saw me on that show and immediately, uh, uh, put me in the army of darkness. So that picked up even more bookings and I got to work with Kevin Sullivan and stuff. That's and, awesome. Uh, that was the start of uh crazy Drexel, which, uh, initially started with just, um, I, it was a straight ripoff of Dr. Luther in FMW. I, in fact, I hit up Luther and said, Hey, cause Luther hadn't wrestled in a few years at that point. Yeah. I said, Hey, I'm stealing your gimmick. And, uh, he kind of laughed. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to do the jumpsuit crazy thing, um, down here in Florida. And he's like, like I told you, there's nothing original in wrestling. Just make it your own. And so that's what I did. So it was uh, a white jumpsuit, uh, put black around my eyes. And I think I put an upside down cross in my forehead. Nice. And that's what I originally started off as. And I bleached my hair blonde and then, uh, the Mohawk showed up and, uh, the upside down cross became an X once I started teaming with Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah. Kevin Sullivan, you got to put an X in your head and, and then, you know, it just kind of grew from there and melded into the weirdness that I do now that kind of just keeps changing. It keeps just uh, evolving and I keep stealing from random movies, TV shows, serial killers, or any weirdos that I see on the streets of Portland. So if I, I like it. something that kind of freaks me out or I can see it's freaking other people out around them. I'm totally making a mental note and probably writing it down in my notepad in my phone uh, yeah. to try to do it at some point during a match or a promo to see the reaction that I get. Hell yeah. Good thinking, man. That's, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I'm sure you have many notes of things, uh, within the last year that have freaked you out. So you're going to freak us all out when we get back to things. That was something that when I got to work with Piper back in the Portland wrestling days, Mm -hmm. when Piper would come in was he would always had his notepad with him for his jotting of notes. And that was something he said to me was, uh, you know, uh, you're a radio guy. He goes, uh, you should know, always, always taking notes. He goes, because you never know. He goes, you're going to get asked to do promos whenever, and you might have no topic whatsoever. And he's like, and there's going to be times that you're working these companies that you're going to have to come up with your own goddamn story. Cause the booker doesn't know what the hell they're doing. So if you always carry a notepad down and you can always come up with some good one-liners or something, you pull a couple of those lines out. Now you got yourself a promo. You just weave around that. And so I took that to heart and I just went from, I used to actually have a, you know, pencil and paper, but now with, uh, with phones, I have a, uh, an entire notepad of just, uh, one-liners or little mini stories to tell during a promo or all this stuff. And then I've got another one that's just random moves or spots, combos into stuff. But yeah, I'm always making notes when I'm watching things and uh, any students that I work with, I tell them, um, I'm like, I don't want to hear about what wrestling match you stole something from. I want to hear how you watched some weird uh, French uh, film and you saw this like 
certain thing done, blah, blah, blah. And it totally tripped you out. Now you're going to use that in a promo. Yeah. Find things from out in left field and make, bring that into wrestling. And yeah. that's what you're going to be. People are like, you're original. No, I'm just not stealing from the same yeah. thing that everyone yeah. else is. You just have a different source. And th- that's cool that you mentioned that about Roddy Piper. I actually just recently watched an A&E biography on Piper and yeah. he, he was totally there. Like he had all of those papers and all yeah. of those notes always that yeah. was always his thing um That's so cool. always just coming up with those one-liners and then you you just you have if you've got a good something good for the meat of the promo and you've got something good for the clothes mm-hmm. there's your promo i mean because most of the time you're not talking for more than a minute or two yeah and uh if you got even in between those two lines it's not that that difficult i always tell people it's uh it's like um you're playing it's just connecting the dots Mm -hmm. same thing with wrestling i do the same thing for wrestling i i can't go out there the new generation i mean i do it because i have to but the the calling of one move into the next into the next into i get so confused and lost after after about the the third section of groupings of moves, I'll totally be lost. And I prefer of like, here's your major moments throughout the match. Now let's just connect the dots and see yeah. where we go and see what the crowd responds to. Sure. And, uh, and as long as you've got your key points uh, put where they need to be in the match, that's what, what, what you got to do. It's the same thing with promos. I do the exact same thing with yeah. promos. Like, all right, hit this point at the beginning to set up the story. All right, here's the meat of the story. I got to mention this. And then I bring it all together with this line. Here's my closer. Bam. Promo's done. Yeah. So, so I wanted to talk to you about uh, some, your, your time with defy. Now, how did you first hear about defy? Um, well, I have been uh, in the, I guess, manager side of DOA pro wrestling for a long time in yeah. Portland. Um, I was one of the people that helped start uh, DOA. Yep. And then I left and went to Florida, came back and uh guy, Jason Sullivan, who used to be the booker for, uh, for the company had moved and I ended up taking over the, the book of uh, DOA. So um, that's uh, when Jim was kind of thinking about getting into wrestling. And I believe he had talked to ECCW initially uh, and they put him in contact with me mm-hmm. and I started talking to him. And I remember specifically telling him that, why do you want to lose money? Uh, <laughs> why do you want to promote wrestling? Like yeah. no one has been successful at that so far in Pacific Northwest. And I, you know, best of luck. I will give him all the help that I can. I will tell him who to avoid and who's a piece of crap. And I just kind of helped with that and uh, helped with getting a ring on a few of those shows, especially in that first year they used uh, DOA DOA rings in, in both. uh, Actually, I think that first show was a DOA ring with uh, with Cody uh, because it was the snowstorm. And part of the deal was they, uh, Jim's brother had to go, um, they had to come pick up the ring from Portland mm. and it was a huge snowstorm and it was a giant nightmare getting the ring all yeah. the way back up to Seattle. But so that's how I hooked up initially with Jim yeah. and uh, I was booked on that first show and uh, then been there ever since. Uh, what was here. your first impression? So you were expecting, so you coming from what you said, nobody quote unquote, and this is you saying it, yep. nobody is successful. Nobody's been successful in the Pacific Northwest with wrestling for years, et cetera, et cetera. What was your impressions going into it? And then what was your impression when you got there? Um, so when he started telling me his plans and he started telling me the names, uh, when he told me, uh, Cody Rhodes and, uh, and, and swerve, I was like, wow. All right. In my head, I'm like, okay, so this isn't the normal promoters that come to town. He's got real money that he's putting. He's actually investing in this, Yeah. Uh, which there has been a few people like that. But at the same time, I've watched them like fill up an entire show with guys like Shane Douglas and stuff and like waste all their money on guys that are past their prime and bury all the locals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just watching that first show set up and he brought in names, but also featured, it was a half and half. 
Yep. It was a good half and half split. And that's kind of where that's been the sweet spot for defy sense. Yeah. Um, and, 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 he told me the ticket sales were great from the beginning. Um, well, once right before the show and stuff, yep, I, yep. the ticket sales were good. Um, but uh, the energy in that building and everything, I did not expect that. Um, and then I didn't know, all right, can this keep up? Because yep. then they switched into Tacoma, tried to do a bunch of shows. Tenants dropped a little bit, but then, you know, it's been a dialing in. They just started dialing things in, but yeah. Um, I've said to lots of people, uh, to lots of people around this country that, uh, if it wasn't for defy, um, there would still defy is the only reason that the Pacific Northwest now isn't the black hole that it used to be because for years, no matter where you went, when you mentioned a company in the Pacific Northwest, the only one they had ever heard of was ECCW. Mm-hmm. That was, if you work there. Uh, that was the only one you could kind of put on your resume going someplace else in the United States where they're like, Oh, I've heard of that company sure, sure, for the sure. most part. Uh, there was nothing that was, was heard of until defied things have opened up, but it all really started with Jim and uh, bringing the attention with, uh, with defy. And, and so I'm eternally grateful for that. Uh, not just for my wrestling career, which I don't know how much longer I'll be going, but just as a promoter and just as someone that when I started wrestling here in Portland, it was pretty dead and buried. It was not a good scene. It was uh, so to see where it's come to now, I'm, I'm happy to see it. And I was taught to always try to leave a place better than where you found it. Yeah, I definitely feel no matter what uh, Pacific Northwest is definitely in the right hands and will keep going up. And I know whenever I step down from wrestling, I'll, I'll just kind of take one of those spots behind the scenes and just help keeping to push it forward. So. So being, uh, you know, wrestling in the Pacific Northwest and I was, I'm curious about, so the other half of defy is uh, Matt farmer. Uh, and he's been on the pod, uh, in the past and, uh, I'm not breaking any news here. He's, he's the, uh, one of the guys behind the scenes there. And did you ever train with him or did you ever wrestle? Matt? I managed uh, farmer actually at one point. Nice. Okay, tell me about that. Um, it was a group called the Illuminati. Uh, okay. That I'm just not even going to get into details, but it was uh, <laughs> a guy, uh, Wade, uh, Wade Hess would probably be the most known wrestlers out of it. There was another sure. one, Wade Wright in, um, uh, Havoc, uh, Dave Hollenbeck and a couple other guys. But, um, we, I managed uh, farmer for a feud against, um, uh, Matt Bourne. And they oh. did a, I was out there for a dog collar uh, death match between the two of them, a dog collar chain match that Matt gigged himself and was literally squirting out of his head after the match where he was outside and it was just squirting as they were trying to get him uh, uh, taped up. So I've seen Matt uh, bleed all over the place. I've known Matt for years. Um, there was another company that was started by uh now can uh, comedian Todd Royce, who's doing really well in comedy, but he used cool. to be known as Skag Rollins uh, okay. back in the day. He had started a company called uh, NRW and the very first show um, Matt was their first champion. But nice. I remember being on that show and the ring was not put together correctly. And Uh-oh. it literally looked like a piano keys going like this as people were trying to run. It was, oh no, uh, just wave. So fact, no one snapped their ankle that night. Jesus. Like you, there's pictures from the show where it, you just see hills in the, uh, the ring as people are running. Jesus. The same thing. So wow. I I've seen a lot of the crap that used to happen. So it's, it's nice when you see things now where me and Matt saw the days of, uh, going to Sandy bars flea market. And, uh, the crowd was, uh, about four deep, uh, during January because there's no heat. So yeah. those four people are sitting on like couches and love seats with their own blankets that they brought. Yeah. And you don't want to bump in the ring because it's completely frozen. Um, Sandy's ring used to be, uh, it was a boxing slash wrestling ring, which are notoriously stiff anyway. Mm-hmm. But instead of like soft pads, he had old gym pads that were about 30 years old from an old, uh, 
from an old wrestling team that were completely petrified and stunk like fish. Um, but when they got cold, it was like hitting concrete. I remember Jesus. taking bumps. Uh, C.W. Bergstrom would uh, work there. And I remember Bergie one time I did a spot where I jump up on the apron and Bergie's like, yeah, I'll give you a big deal inside over the uh, ropes. And I was like, you just want to like boot me off to the floor. And he goes, you want to take a bump on the floor? I said, it's softer than the ring. He goes, you're probably right. And I, I think I almost impaled myself on a random vacuum cleaner just sitting there. Jesus. But yeah, I remember the days of wrestling in front of five people in Sandy Bar's flea market with uh, no uh, air conditioning and no heat. Um, so you've it, been there for the lean times. and, and oh, very and, lean. When I yeah. started, it was definitely out of a love of wrestling because yeah. I fell in love with wrestling at the age of eight and have uh, been obsessed with it ever since. So um, I actually met uh, Scott Demore when I did radio. I was in Florida when I first came back from Florida and yeah. moved back to Detroit. I met Scott Demore at an indie show. Yeah, and he was running um, his school over in Windsor, and yeah. he was talking to. I was talking to him. He's like, "Yeah, come train." He goes, um, "You already have personality. You've got charisma from radio. You know how to perform. I can't teach that." He goes, the, the body, the wrestling part, I can teach that. He goes, yeah. I can teach you how to do that. So come over, train. And my girlfriend at the time was not going to allow it yeah. uh, together. And so I thought it was just a pipe dream. And I, I was like, all right, never mind. Um, and so then years later, when I end up in, uh, in Portland and my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, she, I, when I got the opportunity to train for wrestling, she knew I wasn't going to turn it down twice. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I completely ran with it the uh, second time. But Nice. Uh, okay. So you've been in some wars, man. You've been in some wars um, at, at Defy. I'm curious, what have been some of your favorite moments and some of your favorite matches with Defy? Um, I loved when Sue came in, uh, those yeah. days, uh, that first show with me and Sue, when we came out and the, uh, the defiance gave us the, uh, the bloodbath with all the, uh, the red streamers. Yes. It was definitely a highlight, uh, moment of where I could just pinch myself. Like, is this real? I can't believe this is actually happening. Um, that was huge. Uh, wrestling X-Pac. When, uh, when farmer hit me up and goes, Hey, uh, so, uh, I got a, a match for you. It's, uh, you and Cleaver, um, against Randy and, uh, uh, X-Pac. Are you, you cool with that? And I'm like, you're, you're kidding. Uh, I, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I am getting to wrestle a hall of famer. Um, yeah. That was amazing. Tommy dreamer. That was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Tommy was great. I was one of the things like most of the time, Whenever uh, I've wrestled any kind of name, I always talk to him afterwards, ask what I can do better and stuff. And, yeah. and Tommy, I was so excited because it wasn't like that was my wheelhouse. I was getting to work Tommy in a hardcore match. And like, I was really priding myself on, on doing hardcore the right way where he wasn't going to feel anything. It was mm-hmm. going to be easy, but it looks great. It looks snug. It looks real. And, um, he was giving all this feedback to all these guys and like, he's going along with all these young guys and I'm just waiting my turn. Finally, I walk up at the very end. I was like, Tommy, thank you so much. Uh, you know, it was so fun, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, anything, uh, I to work on. And he's like, no, your timing was good. And that running knee, that running knee is really cool. No, you're good. And I was like, eh. Thanks. And I was like, I guess I know how to do hardcore then. I just kind of walked away. Well, if I know how to do anything in this business, it's hardcore. So, (laughs) but yeah, without defining, you got approved opportunity. You got approved from the innovator of violence Violence, on your hardcore skills. So I'd say you're good. And and when uh, he did the, uh, the staple gun to the crotch, he literally, when I told him, Hey, just staple my balls to the ring. It was one of those like (laughs) jokes. And he goes, you serious? And I'm like, yeah, they're going to pop huge for it. He goes, yeah, I know, but you want, and I'm like, I'll I'll be fine. Just staple it. And he's like, all right, cool. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I can only imagine, like I talk to guys and I hear like, 
I'm the guy that when I get put in one of these matches, um, I'm, I just, I've never once when working a name said, Hey, I like to do this move. It's always like, Hey, I can do this and I can do this and, and you can give me this and give me this and give me this. And they're like, yeah. Hey, what do you do? I was like, no, oh, no, I'll just be Drexel. I don't, I don't yeah. need to actually do anything against you. So yeah. I just find it a thrill, uh, doing stuff like that. I not too long ago for prestige, I had wrestled, uh, Carlito and, uh, we did the whole match got done. And I was like, did you bump it all? He goes, no, just when I bumped myself, like I'm, when I suplexed you and stuff, I was like, all right, cool. Mission accomplished. He goes, do you just purposely try not to bump me this entire match? I goes, yep. And he's like, well, thanks. And I was like, no problem. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, those are the things that I find fun in wrestling. Yeah. Now. And, uh, um, and then I also love just being in a war doing uh wrestling war beast was a, a blast. I yeah. never, uh, paper cutted anyone's, uh, toes, uh, before. So that <laughs> was pretty awesome. Uh, my head was ringing for about three days from all those chair shots between, uh, me and Joseph, uh, because as hard, it was one of those deals that people just looked at me like, are you stupid? And I'm like, he took it the same. Like if he was whipping those chairs at my head and then I went to go do the same thing back to him and he's pussing out or whatever. All right, now we're going to have a problem. Yeah. But he took everything that he gave. So I kind of felt like, all right, here's my head. Go ahead. I, I'll just deal with the ringingness for the next couple of days. I, I don't really do headshots like this anymore. So it was kind of a special occasion. I don't think I had taken that many headshots in probably a good three or four years before that match with war beast. So Jesus, that was uh that was something special because me and Joseph had met down in Florida years before and had talked about working. Yeah. So I think he, he kind of knew that he was just like, yeah, let's just bring it and beat the hell out of each other. You guys are both uh, uniquely violent individuals. Yeah, we both find the beauty in violence, and we both uh, kind of raised a little bit on the tougher side. Because yeah. I, mean, I grew up in Detroit as a white kid with a big mouth. So the ass-kicking that I take in wrestling is nothing compared to the, some of the like beatings I took growing up because, yeah. you know, whatever that I do. And I had a big mouth. So yeah. I've had teeth knocked out and you know, my, uh, both my eyes closed, uh, like completely swollen closed before where Jesus. I can see I'm walking around like this and stuff. Cause I pissed off someone and sent a rose to uh, some guy and wrote it from some ugly girl and things like that. I was just always a shit starter. So nothing's ever changed. I just now get paid to be a shit starter. It's kind of, fun. dude, it's funny. Cause y you mentioning that as a kid, it totally makes sense that you got into kind of rock and shock jock radio and yeah. then you know and then and then you get into uh wrestling it makes sense it makes sense yeah. i mean this Perfect. was also the early 90s i graduated high school in 93 yeah I mean, shock jock radio and being offensive and things like south park uh debuting i yep. mean it changed grunge uh, grunge was the closest thing like I loved grunge coming out because it was so much closer to like the punk rock that I loved of yeah. the Ramones and um, Iggy pop and the stooges and yeah. five and stuff like that. So I love the grunge age and you know, I had all of it before it became popular. And then when it became popular, I was like, Oh, this sucks. Cause you know, <laughs> I was cool 18 years old. I was way too cool for that. So, <laughs> all right. Now I'm going to have to kill the gimmick for you, dude. And we're going to have to get, uh, okay. So this is a little cheesy of a question, but I have to ask it. It's the thing I have to ask the defiance. What does the defiance mean to you? Um, the defiance. If it was just a one word answer, I would say energy. Um, you get more energy in Washington Hall than any other spot in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's something about that building, something about 
the people that latched on from the very beginning, um, they, cause it's not like Washington Hall is that comfortable of a building. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much like the old ECW days of you're walking into a building with shit air, uh, AC and you are going to literally going to be dripping sweat by the end of this. Mm-hmm. You're going to be inhaling way too much smoke. It's going to make you cough for the next couple of days. In fact, when you go home, your throat is going to kind of hurt between the screaming and the smoke and, and everything else. So, um, uh, I, I have mad love just for the energy that the defiance gives to us as performers. Um, yeah. You could be completely blown up and just literally be completely refilled just off of what they're giving. Um, and as much as they try to be smart fans, they are really easy to work. I mean, nice. I mean, they, if you really want to be a heel to, uh, towards the defiance, you can get them to turn, uh, turn on you. Uh, it just change your, your style slightly. Um, and you can get them to cheer you or, uh, boo you really instant. Like they go along with the show. They go definitely go along with the show. Um, I feel like they don't, <laughs> they really do hate the heels. If yeah. you go out there and try not to give them their, uh, their super spotty match and you try to just grind down and not let someone do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. They actually get emotionally angry over it. And I love that. I, yeah. I, just, I just like working people. I like, telling a story and taking them along for the journey, whatever that story is. So nice, man. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm th- thank you very much for doing this. I have learned oh, so much you. about you. Uh, it, it's been awesome. What's the best way to support you right now? Obviously we, we can't go see you down at Washington hall yet, you know, yeah. uh, for the time being, but, uh, during this time, what's the best way to support you and where can we follow along with you? Um, well, let me see. Uh, you can follow me on most social media under, uh, the devil Drexel and Drexel is D R E X L. And then actually my newest endeavor that I didn't even get to talk about is, uh, I'm producing a, uh, a show on YouTube, uh, called Luther's world with oh. uh, Dr. Luther from AEW. We're doing a show called Luther's world of cryptids, uh, ghosts and the unknown. And, uh, essentially it's, um, Luther gets uh, members of the AEW roster and other wrestlers he meets to tell their own stories, either ghost stories or some uh, they saw something strange that they can't uh, they can't explain some yeah. animals. So something um, I'm on every episode starting on, uh, I think it's uh, episode six, doing a, uh, a segment called uh, Defining the Unknown. And it's Drexel. Uh, giving definitions uh, for uh, random words. Uh, I think the first one that I'm on there is uh, I'm doing the definition of poltergeist, uh, but I'm in full Drexel character doing the nice. definition. So it makes a little bit more fun, but yeah, yeah, that you can find on YouTube under uh, Luther's world of, and uh, I think it's up on anchor and Spotify and awesome. those uh, the audio version of it. Um, but that's, that's killer, man. Yeah. It's uh, really fun. And that was something else born of COVID. Yeah. Where, uh, Luther was born or was bored because he's, they're only doing tapings every two weeks. And mm-hmm. decided, he had hit me up to tell me about, he was going to do this whole thing. And yeah. uh, so then he sends me the, the actual intro for it. And he had one of the producers from AEW do this intro and it's phenomenal. And then he, it's got this, the, the intro song is done by ruckus who does all the, uh, the music for uh, AEW. Yeah. And it's so good. And Luther has never done any video editing whatsoever in his entire life. So I proceed to see his, how he's filmed everything and how he's going to attempt. And I was like, no, I can't let you do this. He goes, yeah. oh, no, it's just, it's my little project. I was like, no, I, I suck at video editing, but at least I have Adobe master suite. My yeah. job, you know, I'm a graphic designer. So I'm really, am a homicidal artist. And I was like, but I at least know how to use premiere and uh, after effects and stuff, even yeah. if it's just the basics. So I decided to help out on that. And then it, played off i believe we're going to be uh 
on uh, Jericho's uh, cruise. We're going to be doing a live podcast on there. A lot. That's of so cool. And uh, a bunch of fun stuff like that. But yeah, that just kind of popped up out of nowhere and uh, having a blast with it. And uh, I'm really excited once uh, the restrictions, because um, kind of get lifted. Luther just went to Kentucky and stayed at a haunted ho- uh, hotel and uh, filmed some stuff. But as AEW starts touring, as they get out on the West Coast, I'll probably meet up with them in some of these spots and we'll yeah. do hunting. And uh, hopefully, once he's up in the Pacific Northwest, I'll I'll make some calls and try to get down in the Shanghai tunnels underneath Portland and do some ghost hunting under there. And Amazing. We'll have, uh, essentially, most of the episodes are it's uh, a couple different uh, uh, wrestlers telling their stories, and mm-hmm. then it'll be uh, some letters from fans. Fans will send in their letters, their stories. Yeah, they'll have uh, wrestlers read those stories. Killer. Um, and then he's got experts on. Uh, uh, an expert will tell a story either about Bigfoot or uh, UFOs or something. Yeah. Uh, my segment, we've got someone from uh, England that tells us ghost stories from over the pubs because everything's haunted over in England. Yeah. So old. Uh, Luther does a segment about cryptids of the world where he uh, names a different cryptid. Like uh, I've actually got some fun hats. Like here's a uh, Chupacabra right there. I, think I got a Bigfoot hat over here, but uh, yeah, he does the cryptids of the world. And then he'll do, do does a segment on uh, haunted hotels uh, that you can actually go stay at and check out and what rooms to uh, stay there and how much they cost and stuff. But yeah, check out Luther's world of, and uh, if you want to get hold of me, uh, the devil Drexel and, uh, as soon as wrestling is back up in the Pacific Northwest, I'm sure I will be being seen everywhere every weekend because I am a, uh, a whore like that. Uh, I do have a couple shows. There's one in uh, Everett, I believe. Um, that is, uh, what is the name of the company? I don't even know if they have a name. It's being ran by uh, the uh, uh, Flex Network podcast. They're promoting the show. but. Cool. I'll- wrestling there and then chase james is running a show out in spokane uh, right on uh, uh, i got a show coming up both of those are in june and then down in vegas i'll be uh wrestling for super beast uh for the uh at the super beast compound for their first death match uh show they're going to be doing so nice i was gonna mention if you if you and luther come up to seattle um you got to go to kell's irish bar okay. it's uh it's um haunted it's one of the first buildings in Seattle and it's um, it's yeah, there were some really, really interesting stories with it and some deaths there. And I have a friend who worked there and uh, they, it was on one of those ghost hunter shows. So That's it's uh, cool. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really stoked to actually get on the road and do this and, uh, and have fun with it. If you watch the show, I, as I produced it, I, I very much had the 19, like, 1970s 1980s uh horror host uh type like the kind of a little bit of b camp to it um Svengooly. a little Svengooly. there's some static um the footage i mean part partly out of necessity because luther was using a very old camera to start sure. off with yeah so uh why don't i add some extra fuzz and some extra yeah. static and some clicking of uh channels and stuff so uh it just kind of became the look of the show and nice. we ran with it and it's uh pretty fun so uh, check it out and uh and have some fun with it especially if uh you're into spooky stuff absolutely man all right before we go any final words for the defiance drexel uh, no, I'll, uh, see you soon. And, uh, I've got such, uh, I don't know, such horrors to show you all. And, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really pushing this homicidal artist thing. So, uh, um, no one in the defiant, uh, has got to play with Mr. Giggles and Mr. <laughs> Pointy. And I've got a bunch in my bag underneath over here. So I'll be bringing a bunch of new toys. Yeah. To and I can't wait. Like this one literally goes underneath fingernails and I can pop up someone's fingernail right off. Oh, of that yay. With Neil, uh, Neil diamond cutter. And then this one, I had this one on uh, Colby Carino's face. I, I, uh, uh, I yanking it across his face and gave him a nice little smile, but I'm so excited to get back in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Drexel, you've been a blast, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.